What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pinnacle Performance Podcast. My name is Connor Harris. Today, I have a guest that I'm really excited about having on. Her name is Christina Myers, and we've talked a lot on social media before. We've had a lot of fun conversations, and I've been trying to get her on for a while now. I'm really excited that she could join me today, so thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, you are a gymnast coach and also a powerlifting coach. You also do powerlifting yourself. So uh, just for the audience, how did you get into that? I started gymnastics in preschool, actually. So that one, my parents kind of chose for me. Um, when it came to be time to choose one sport or keep doing all the things that I got into as a kid, gymnastics was the one that I loved the most. So I went that route and I kept doing it until I was a junior in high school and I had a, um, a lumbar stress fracture. So that was what kind of finally took me out. And it was an odd timing that I could either try and make a comeback and maybe have time to do it in one year or just move on and do something else. And so I actually went from gymnastics to in a roundabout way, I got into track and that is what I did in college. Um, and so the very first time I touched a barbell was freshman year of college in the weight room for track. And then that strength and conditioning coach had no idea what to do with a beginner because you usually don't get them in college. But that was an interesting experience um and I actually hated it at first mostly because it was new and I didn't feel very confident in what I was doing so I just felt lost all the time and I am not a person that likes to not know what's going on so that was really stressful but after I got out of that I was like all right so now that nobody's watching me all the time like I'm gonna figure this out so my route to powerlifting kind of came from like not immediately picking up barbell training and not liking it. And then I was like, all right, I have to get good at this. Can't be bad at anything. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So then I, when I started working in a gym, that's kind of when I picked it back up and eventually just like lifting in general, I was like, okay, I really like trying to get super strong. And there weren't a lot of females in powerlifting back then. So I didn't have a lot of people to, to watch like you do now there's lifting everywhere on social media. Um, but I found one person, her name was Leanna Carr, and she actually ended up being a teammate of mine eventually when I hired my coach. Mm. So I kind of watched what she was doing and I was like, that looks like a lot of fun. She yeah. seems really confident. So I want to try it. And basically once I started, I was hooked. So nice. Yeah. Gymnastics yeah. and powerlifting is a very interesting <laughs> and unique combination. Um, so in terms of like, you do the strength conditioning for your, your gymnast, correct? Yes. So how do you go about doing that? Because those are two very contrasting different sort of approaches to performance and human performance. So in terms of strength conditioning for gymnastics, how do you go about approaching that with your high school gymnasts? It's not as different as you would maybe expect it to be just because of where they are and what they need. So, I mean, so much of gymnastics is having a really good strength base. So mm -hmm. we do squat, deadlift, pressing variations on top of a lot of other strength work. And if it doesn't look exactly the same, I mean, I don't have them barbell squat very often. Um, but the basics of it are all kind of the same and kind of that goal of increasing the strength space first. And then of course, we've got to worry about power and plyometrics and all of that stuff more with the gymnast, a little less with the powerlifting, unless somebody just has an interest in it. Then sometimes I'll throw some extra of that in there for them. But I would say, the basis of the programming, like the, the big blocks of it, look a lot more alike than you would think that they would. 
Yeah, I can see that. It's uh, kind of like the idea of, um, I sent out something the other day that said, no matter what sport I'm training an athlete in, my program is going to look, you know, two thirds of it on paper looks really, really similar. Volume and, yeah. and intensity is going to differ, obviously, but really like most people need most of the same things, irrespective of where they're coming from or where they're going. So uh, I totally see that. Um, but there's not a whole lot of coaches out there um, that are strength and conditioning coaches for gymnasts. So in terms of um, like specifically for gymnasts, but there are people who do work with gymnasts quite often. So uh, in terms of going about programming for them, what are some things that you see uh, that might be common misconceptions or things that you see that potentially we can improve upon when it comes to programming for those kinds of athletes? Uh, it kind of goes back to what I just said. I see so many gymnastics um, workouts and I don't, well, let me back up. First thing that is most people in gymnastics are just coaches. Like they just coach gymnastics. They don't really know anything about strength and conditioning, but those are the people that are in charge of the conditioning. Mm -hmm. And so they don't really understand periodization and like when to do certain things and um, how to progress things. So sometimes they just start somewhere and the goal is to make it hard. Um, there's not really a lot of planning into it. It's like, okay, they're sweaty and they, they're out of breath. We did a good job. And that's about it. Um, and I see so much emphasis on plyometrics with never any strength work. Um, so I, it'll be all jumping exercises and all rebounding type things. And they'll never actually train the strength base to go with it. And so you end up with, of course, a lot of overuse injuries because one gymnastics is almost an entirely plyometric sport to begin with. So now you're doing more on top of that and crazy numbers of it. And two, you're never building up the eccentric strength and all of those kinds of things in those muscle groups to be able to handle those plyometric movements. Um, and then of course, on top of that, they're kids. So yeah. some of them aren't even, you know, they haven't even hit puberty yet or they're kind of in that growing phase anyway. So I would say probably the, the biggest mistake I see is that people don't spend enough time on actual strength work. Yeah. They just think conditioning and it's all, it's, you know, it's hard, but hard in the wrong way. It's challenging and, and not in the way that they need it to be. Yeah, I could, uh, I could see how that would be the case. And it makes sense because when you have someone who isn't, you know, certified in strength conditioning, doesn't come from a background of that, I could see how they would say, okay, like, what do we need to do to get these kids better? Well, they jump a lot, so let's just jump. But there's mm -hmm. so many ground contexts that you're already getting. It's like, that's why, same reason why you don't want to jump volleyball players at times in season, because they're already getting so much of that. So that strength yeah. component is huge. Uh, it's like the same thing with runners too. If you have someone who doesn't have a good uh, foundational background in strength conditioning, you would say, well, this person just needs to do a ton of high rep work because that's what their sport is. But really it's like, no, these people need max strength work sometimes sprinkled in there because the higher their total relative strength is, then the less work they have to uh, basically exert with each step they take um, relative to each race. So uh, that's, yeah, very well said. So what's your, uh, now let's flip to powerlifting now. Now, when you have your powerlifters, you work with a lot of female powerlifters? Mostly female. I'm probably two thirds female and about a third of mine are male. Gotcha. How do you get your clients? Um, mostly through social media and word of mouth these days. I cannot think of the last time that I actually advertised that I was taking on clients, but I always have them and I almost always have a pretty steady 
flow of new people inquiring to the point that I can't take them all on. Um, and it's just because I think if you actually provide a good service and people are seeing progress, they will tell their friends who are wanting to possibly get into it, you know, and then you just kind of have um, a pretty good pull to pull a pull of people to pull from. Um, yeah. So, and social media is definitely a good tool for getting people now and powerlifting is a very like social media driven sport right now. And that is good and bad. I think some people do it for the wrong reasons, but the fact of it is that there are people who want to get into powerlifting and they're watching other people on social media. So um, the more you can kind of get your name out there and what you do and what makes you a little bit different than everyone else or the free program they can find online because there are a lot of those. Um, I think that kind of sets you up to always have somebody who's watching you and wanting to know when they can get in. So. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of, uh, people trying to be powerlifting coaches these days. You see that, that it's very saturated on Instagram, particularly from what I see. And what do you do to kind of differentiate yourself to, to stand out, not just being different for the sake of being different, but what do you do that helps you kind of um, stand out amongst the crowd, amongst all these coaches who are trying to do the same thing? Um, one thing about powerlifting specifically is there's a really low barrier to entry for one for the athletes, because you don't necessarily have to be athletic to be decent at powerlifting. Um, you can, I mean, it's very entry level squat bench and deadlift are fairly simple movements compared to some other things. And then for coaches, there's no real governing body or anything like that, that is requiring a certain level of certification or a certain level of requirements to be able to get into it, especially online. I mean, no one is policing that at all. It's not like if you want to work for a college strength and conditioning program, you need at least a CSCS and these things. No one cares. And a lot of athletes don't know what to look for. Um, and so one thing that I have tried to do is because I do have a lot of those qualifications and I'm still working through grad school and some other things is I try to highlight them without bragging about them, which can be a really hard line to walk sometimes because in the powerlifting community, there's kind of this still like brute strength above all else mentality sometimes. This is sometimes people are like, oh, they're too smart. They can't possibly be good at this. I don't know. It's kind of backwards. It's kind of backwards. But um, so it's, it's kind of a trick of being able to put out there that I did actually go through the work and get all these degrees and certifications and different things and that I am still learning. Um, and then being female, actually, I think it helps me. At, at first, it used to be harder, I think, because nobody would want a female coach. But now that more female athletes are getting into it, um, they want somebody that understands them a little bit better and kind of knows what they're looking for and what they're going through because it's different. I mean, for the most part, women are welcome in gyms now, but there's still, I mean, there's still guys out there that will be rude to you when you walk into a gym or make you feel like you don't belong there or kind of intimidate you out of using a certain piece of equipment. So I think being able to have that perspective that I've been there too, that people have said those things to me and how did I deal with it? Um, that's a big part of it too, I think. Yeah. And just understanding things that, I mean, a lot of male coaches don't get into menstrual cycles and how that affects you, but yeah, I can understand that from a firsthand perspective. Definitely. Like there's just certain things that you guys will have to go through that I will never be able to like, I can get it. Like logically I'll understand it, but in terms of like actually experiencing it, I have 
I can't say I have any idea what that feels like. And right. you know, that's, that's to a certain extent, that's just part of being a different gender, but also like, uh, I think it, you do need a female coach for some of those things because it makes you relatable and that's really important. So um, as a female, a powerlifter yourself and one that coaches females, uh, how do you feel like, um, how do you feel like that place within females within powerlifting is changing throughout the years because you've been doing this for uh, quite a bit of time. How do you see like the progression of females in powerlifting? Kind of like what's what's happening with the trend there as we enter a new decade in 2020? It has absolutely exploded um, since I got into it. When I first started competing, there would maybe be two or three other females in a meet. I mean, it was so small. Um, and now it's, it's almost, I would say it's almost half. I think it's probably about a third to two thirds now, but that is crazy compared to what it used to be like. And I think part of that is just that more women are getting into to truly lifting now than that used to, because they're kind of getting out of the pink dumbbells phase. Uh -huh. um, more of the truth is starting to get out there about what actually makes you look a certain way and feel a certain way and, you know, make progress. And so people are more open to actually learning to do some of these barbell movements. And then I think one of the other things is people realize that getting strong is actually really empowering in other areas of your life too. I mean, obviously, you know, you feel physically strong, but once you realize you can do a certain weight, like maybe you squat 200 pounds for the first time and you, you're like, okay, I'm a little more confident to try this other new thing. So I think once you really get into it and you get into it for the right reasons, it can be kind of addicting for females, especially if they were not athletes before. And so that's kind of a new um, dedication or commitment for them and a new way to kind of empower themselves to be a little bit more confident in other areas. Yeah, but definitely, can, definitely growing. Absolutely. I can think of, uh, just not even with powerlifting, just really any sort of like hard training in general. I remember when I first started getting into it, I was a very self-conscious kid when I was growing up and just the act of going through a difficult thing that you push yourself through and accomplishing it and coming out, even if it's just a half an hour later through like a difficult training session, it just makes everything else in your life that much easier to get through. You know, getting up was a little bit easier, you know, like doing this inconvenient thing was for some reason just a little bit easier. I think you're right, it does carry over into your life. I think irrespective of who you are or where you come from, I think that's very valuable. Um, so yeah, so when it comes to your business with your online business, in-person business, how did you go about starting that? Obviously you have these certifications, you're in grad school, uh, but what was a strategy you, you utilized early on to help kind of like ignite your business? So I actually, um, I kind of started slowly branching into it before it was like the cool thing to do. Um, fitness social media was not what it is now at the time. There were some online coaches out there, but it wasn't the vast majority. Like now everyone's coaching online. Um, so I was actually personal training in a commercial gym and I needed a way to work with people who didn't need me right there with them anymore. Mm. Um, like they still needed some guidance. They needed a program to follow and, you know, some check-ins here and there, but they, they didn't need me to literally stand there with them while they did their workout or maybe they couldn't afford that much personal attention um, because it is more affordable to do online coaching most of the time yeah. just because the level of interaction and, and um, time commitment from the coach is usually less unless you're doing like virtual sessions or something like that but um, 
So it came from me. What? Do you do many virtual sessions? I don't usually, but uh, here lately I've done a few just to kind of help people that I can't see in person right now. Um, so it started with trying to find a way to get those people what they needed, but it was against the rules for the gym. And I, I tried to go through them and say, hey, I want to do this. Is there any way we can make this a package or whatever? And so I kind of had to like secretly do it for a little while <laughs> um, until I could get out of that situation and get into something where I could really do whatever I wanted. Um, but it was good because I got to experiment when nobody really was watching me, if that makes sense. Like I just had one or two people that I was kind of working on it with and I was figuring out what was and wasn't working as far as check-ins and um, communicating with them. And for me, the first people I had online were people that I had already trained in person. So I did know them pretty well. So that made it a good um, learning experience. But once I left that commercial gym, I kind of went off on my own there. And um, that's where I was really able to like get into the online side of things and kind of hone in on what would make it work and what would attract people to it. And it was a little bit tough at first because people weren't really doing online coaching. And so like knowing how to get people into it was hard. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was coming out of personal training, but I knew I didn't really want to do general fitness. So I was trying to transition from that into more um, athletes or at least athletically minded people who, you know, were really committed to a certain goal, even if it wasn't a competitive sport. So I kind of transitioned to online training and actually working with sports all at the same time, yeah. which was a little bit tricky. <laughs> but worth it. So oh. that was probably the, the thing I learned the hard way, but learned pretty early on is that you have to know who it is that you want to work with. Um, and what you stand for as a coach, like what your guiding principles are and, um, you know, like who you are and what makes you different and sets you apart. Like we talked about earlier from everybody else that's doing the same thing as you. Once I figured that out, like once I was like, okay, I don't want to work with general fitness people. I really want to work with athletes. It was easier to come up with the, the products and the services and the way of doing things that kind of attracted those people. To yeah. Um, I think you hit a really important point there. And that is you identified your market that you want your target market. And like, duh, right? Everyone's like, of course. But I was talking to Adam Menner about this on my last podcast. And when you read a business book, when you read any sort of like, you know, go to a business seminar, it's always like these steps you take that seem kind of redundant and monotonous, but they're really important because the successful people actually do those things. They sit down and they actually write out exactly what they're going to do, who their target market is, what their strategies are, procedures, et cetera. And that is what makes those people successful. Like for myself, I would read those books. I would take away nothing because I'd read it. And I wouldn't actually do what it, what, it, what it told me to do because I just wanted to read the book for the information and not actually apply it because I thought I could get away without it. But actually, after I sat down and did those things, I was like, wow, this actually really helps me fill in some gaps that were totally missing. I never would have done that if I didn't actually sit down and do the work to write it out, which doesn't even take that long. I kind of went through the same thing. Like I, I kind of figured it out there at the beginning and have always kind of like slowly and and small ways worked on it but it really this year um when i started doing the new branding that i just did they the two different people one with a photographer and one was an actual designer both made me 
do pages and pages of work on that. And even though I thought I knew, like I got even better at it because I did have to like really, really think about it. And it helped me a lot. Like I obviously got design work that has helped to make my content look nicer, but it really gave me a lot better direction of where to go with it, I think. So, you know, you're kind of getting to the right people because you're, you're telling them what they need to learn or what they want to learn. Um, the things that are actually important to them versus yeah. just what you think. <laughs> I think the, the branding thing you did, and we talked about this, I think that was really, really important because everything you put out has a consistent message behind it. It all mm -hmm. kind of, it, it doesn't look the same, but it has similar themes, even the colors. Like this is something I do that I, because as soon as they scroll down and they see, Oh, your colors, your style, they know it's you as opposed to just posting something that is just, you know, another face, another video of someone, you know, squatting, that you deadlifting, like they're going to see a thousand times over the next 10 minutes that they're scrolling. I think that's a huge thing because that helps you stand. That helps you stand out. That's, that mm -hmm. helps people start to build uh, an association between your content and who you are. And I think that's huge. And you put yourself out there a lot. There's always pictures and videos of you doing things. And I think that's really important too, because um, that's why I started this podcast, um, really, because if we're just text on a screen to someone, then we're just, you know, another person. But if someone can associate your voice or your face with how you would say those things or you actually carrying out the message that you preach, I think that's really important for people to see. That's something that I had to get a lot more comfortable with recently. And thankfully, I have some people who have been really supportive of me doing it and reminding me to do it. Um, on a regular basis because I'm really introverted. So I don't really like to put myself out there on social media. That's not something that I would do if I wasn't the face of my business. I would probably have a very small account and not really post a whole lot of personal stuff. But um, even little things like, it was probably three weeks ago. It seems like six months ago now with everything going on, but it was probably only three weeks ago I answered questions from the little question box on Instagram in person. Like I turned the camera around and spoke instead of just writing out my answers. And a lot of people messaged me when we were like, they were like, you literally never show your face unless it's like a lifting video. Like you don't show your face. And so we never get to see you. And I was like, that's a, I didn't really think about it like that. You know, I was answering their questions, but I wasn't really making it a personal connection. So things like that are difficult for me to do because it kind of goes against my introverted nature. But once I started doing them, I definitely noticed a difference in people feeling like they knew who I was a little bit better. Yeah, I relate to that so much. I just remember the hardest thing for me to do, and I'm so glad I did it, but it took me probably, shoot, I've been doing this for like a year, uh, probably six good months to actually put my face in front of the camera. It was always just words. I wouldn't even have a picture of myself on there. My profile picture was it because I was so afraid of people criticizing me or disagreeing with what I said, but something that's so empowering and just enlightening to understand is that people don't care. They really just don't like, unless you're just being a jackass or you're just putting out things that are blatantly not true. People don't really care because you're just another thing they're scrolling past. And yes, like your brand matters, but no one really cares if you stutter on a video. No one cares if you're not saying things in the best possible way. People care about what can I get out of this and help myself with this information I'm doing? Like how much value are you providing? And that to me, I think is more important than anything else. Because a lot of people talk about principles. They talk about, you know, like 
uh, the electron transport chain. Well, great. How do I use that to actually, you know, improve my, my one rep max on a squat? You know, like that sort of information to me, at least, and in my experience has been very valuable, valuable for people. And you do a very similar approach. And I think that's really what works at the end of the day. That I think definitely how you present the information and I can be bad about this. I, I tend to speak at like a higher level and write at that higher level. And I don't get down to like normal person level very well. I've never have even like long before I know what I knew now, knew what I know. I don't know. Anyway, long before I got to where I am now, that's just always been something that was hard for me to do is kind of like get on that level and relate to other people who don't have the same background. Um, so that's something that I have to work really hard on, but because I know I have to work on it, I think it makes me better at, putting those posts together because I can kind of back up and say, okay, if I wasn't talking to myself, if I was talking to somebody, if I was talking to me five years ago, before I actually knew how to do a correct squat, like how would I word this so that it would, it would help me um, versus what I would tell the person in my grad school class who's on the same level as me. Um, that helped me a lot. And I would say, like we said, showing my face and like actually speaking more, people are like, not that I thought you were mean, but it was not personal and now that you talk to us more it seems you're human like now you seem like a real person and not like just some account on social media like i feel like i could actually meet you and know who you are now which is yeah, good in coaching huge and that's the whole language thing is so important too that's something i'm always trying to do better and i think we have a bias as coaches and people who have studied the things that we're studying for so long to where you know, we want to sound smart. We want to sound intelligent. Mm -hmm. And the things we, we know sound make so much sense to us. They make a lot of sense because we've been studying it for so long. We've been practicing it for so long. But to the average person, they might not know what an adductor is. So for me, right. like, I'm always typing out, if I'm talking about an adductor, like the ischiochondral adductor, and people are like, what are you talking about? Like, what is that? So I have to go, okay, inner thigh, and that really helps, but I don't want to say that because I want to sound smart, and it's really just an ego thing at the end of the day. So if I just check that and go inner thigh muscle, big butt muscle, glute max, and then that makes it more understandable for people. Um, so that's a, that's a huge point, and I think that we could always do better with that, and um, really some of my most successful content has been just the most basic of all basic things. Definitely. And I think it was Brett Bartholomew that said this. I want to say that it came up when I was at, I did an apprenticeship of his, which mm. is a really cool experience. It's mostly improv, um, which when he first said it, I was kind of like, really? But it, it's, it works because you had to start talking to the other people around you in a way that they could understand and follow and continue the conversation. So it forces you to really um, think about it from someone else's point of view. And are they going to understand what you're saying and kind of catch your train of thought? And so I, he said something that really kind of stuck with me. And that was, you're not talking to your colleagues. You're talking to you, you to athletes. Yeah. Um, so you don't need your colleagues to know what you're talking about. You need the athletes to get it. And it doesn't matter if your colleagues think you sound smart because you aren't talking to them. Like the right. athlete needs to know what the heck they're supposed to do. Yeah, and that's what makes an effective coach. Um, was that an in-person or online mentorship? That's in-person. Okay, gotcha. How long yeah. was that? Um, it was two days, so it was like two full days on a weekend. Very cool, very cool. Okay, so like yeah. kind of a seminar almost. 
Kind of. Um, it's like a seminar, but you do almost all of it. I mean, he would get up and talk and do some different things like that, but the majority of it was you were working with the people who were at the apprenticeship with you. Um, like I said, we played a lot of improv games or like broke up into small groups and did things. And that's one of the things I liked about it because I would love to just sit and not have to participate and sit back and like, listen to somebody that's easy. Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't challenge you that much. So when he, they make you do it, it just, it sticks with you better. I think. Definitely. Have you read his book? Mm -hmm. Conscious yeah. Coaching. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, it's Conscious Coaching. And that's a fantastic book about relationships and buying. And uh, really like when I read that book, there was one consistent theme that I noticed throughout the whole thing. And that was, you have all these different egos, all these different introverts and extroverts, but at the end of the day, you have to give them what they want, not even in a sense of programming, but a sense of autonomy and a sense of where they are in the room relative to others. You have to make them feel comfortable in that regard. And I, that was a huge point for me because we're always talking about autonomy in the sense of like, let them choose the exercises or set reps, whatever the case may be. But in terms of like managing someone's own ego, and I don't mean ego in a negative way, like just ego in general, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. Everyone has one. You have to give them what they want because that is going to make them feel comfortable and they're going to feed off of that and they're going to buy into what you do ultimately, which is going to make your program better. And that's exactly what, I mean, the majority of the apprenticeship was designed to do is take those things that he wrote about in the book and make you do them because it's easy to read it and say, okay. And it's a totally different thing to actually be able to apply them. So that's most of what it was, was forcing you to do those different things in different scenarios. Yeah, it's good to like get out of your comfort zone a little bit with that. <laughs> Definitely that. <laughs> as, as a fellow introvert, I completely understand <laughs> that that's difficult. How many people were in the room? Uh, I think there were 10. I think yeah. there were 10 of us. It's pretty small, but it's, that almost makes it harder because people like really get to know you. Yeah. And I, you can't hide in the crowd. You, you're going to have to participate. So, what do, do you think that? I think when we think of coaches, like Brett, I've never met him, but he seems like your classic extrovert, you know, very, oh, yeah. <laughs> very happy, jolly go lucky, very much like a talkative person. And he's great in front of the camera. But for people like you and me, that can be a little bit harder. But when it comes to coaching, there's pros and cons to being both an introvert and an extrovert. What do you think an introvert has that's a benefit, like to our advantage? Obviously, it can be harder for us to talk to people and address a crowd, but what do you think is a benefit of that as it relates to coaching and programs? I think for me and the particular group of people that I work with, whether it's high school girls or, well, I actually have um, gymnastics. I have everybody from eight to 18. So I have like youth athletes through teenage athletes through high school athletes with that. And so that's a hard time to be a female. I mean, going through puberty and especially now with social media, which thankfully we did not have when I was their age. Um, that's hard. And so to be able to kind of relate to what they're going through a little better, even if it's not exactly the same, I can kind of get on their level better because I am shy, you know? So even if it's not the same thing that I might get nervous about, I can relate to, to feeling insecure about something that yeah. I have to do anyway. And, you know, you just kind of have to get over it. And that's a harsh way to say it, but you can help them work through it and say, okay, why, you know, why do you feel that way? What can I do to help you? How can we work on this together? Um, and the same thing with a lot of my adult female clients, they have some reason that they haven't already started lifting and haven't already done these things. And whether it's because they feel like they don't know what they're doing 
um, or they are scared or whatever else it is, you can kind of relate to them better, I feel like, than if I was somebody who was perfectly fine and comfortable in all situations and wouldn't be able to, to relate to that being afraid to go into the weight section of the gym or being nervous about getting into certain situations or picking up a really heavy bar because it's nervous, nerve wracking, you know? So I think being an introvert is helpful to me as a coach because I can get into their shoes a little bit better for the most part. And even my like super extroverted out there clients, they still have something, you know, that they're a little bit insecure about. And so I think they feel more comfortable talking to me about it than they might if it was like their husband, you know, or somebody that is a little bit closer to them. So. I think a, like the overarching theme of what you said is like just listening. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is what, I think that's what I try to do well. Cause I've always gotten along better with people who are, my best friends are all extroverts cause they just like to talk and I love to listen to people. I, that's what I like to do. And as coaches, it's easy for people like even I catch myself talking too much. And I, I have to back down. I'd be like, okay, I have, you know, two years, one mouth for a reason, right? That classic saying. And if I listen more, if I can get them to talk more, I find that that kind of takes care of itself because mm-hmm. some people are just verbal processors and they have to talk out their feelings about things. They have to talk things to like actually conceptualize them. And for me, that's difficult to understand because I don't do things that way. That's not how my brain works. But for a lot of people, especially a lot of female clients I have, they need to actually talk things out to in for maybe long periods of time for them to understand and get on the same level that I'm at. So I totally understand that. Um, in regards, I wanted to switch gears really quick and talk about a couple of things because I think you are the single best person to talk about this with. Um, well, actually, first of all, let's back up. I wanted to address. <laughs> so you are a powerlifting coach. So you work with a lot of women who like to lift heavy weights. I just want to kill this right now because I thought this was something that most people had gotten over but I don't think it is and that's the idea of lifting heavy weights makes people bulky I know there's some people that are that are cringing listening to that but can you just put to rest the idea that lifting heavy weights is going to make girls look like those big you know kind of scary looking female bodybuilders well (laughs) I have been lifting for five years and I clearly don't look like that. Actually, I guess if you count when I originally started with the track weight room in 2008, it has now been 12 years that I have seriously been lifting and I am a very small person. I still wear the same size clothes I wore when I graduated high school. I weigh considerably more and I built a lot of muscle, but like the actual size of me has changed very little. Um, it looks different. It fills out clothes different, but definitely not bulky. I don't think that anybody would see me and go, oh, you're really bulky. But that is something that I deal with a ton. And usually when people get into powerlifting, I do not get a lot of, I don't want to be bulky. Wow. Usually they've, they've kind of gotten through that a little bit. I will still get sometimes some pushback if I need them to eat more. Yeah. They might kind of be like, oh, I don't want to get big. And I'm like, well, let's you know, back up and think about how this works. You're not going to, um, you're under eating. I need you to eat more and you actually might start to like your body more because you're going to feed it and it's going to cooperate with you a little bit better here. Um, your body composition will usually improve in that case. So many of my female athletes are under eating when they get 
to me. And now they want to do something more vigorous than what they were doing before. So I was like, all right, we gotta, we gotta have some food to go with that. But gymnastics is so behind. And those, you know, those are kids who are growing anyway. So they're, of course, are going to continue to grow um, and change because that's what happens once <laughs> you become an adult. But that is where I get the most of it. People are terrified to let gymnasts use any kind of weights. And I mean, resistance training obviously doesn't have to be heavy barbells. I mean, if I hand them a resistance band or my smaller kids, five pounds is a lot, you know, um, people are terrified. I get parents that will come and ask me about it. I'll have some of the athletes will come and tell me they're worried that they're going to get bigger. And thankfully, because of the position of authority I have in that situation, which is a little different than my like one-on-one -on -one clients, I can kind of say, okay, this is what we're doing. And I need you to trust me. And if you still feel this way in six months, if you feel like you gained weight or you feel like you got bigger, we'll come back to this. Like we will revisit it and I will find a different program for you. And we never have to go back to it. They realize, you know, they're getting stronger. They're getting better at their skills. They're being, they're able to do new things and they aren't actually getting bulky. So I think obviously like physiologically, we know that that's not the case, but when you can get somebody to trust you enough to try it, and prove to themselves that it's not the case. That's, I, that's, that's how I think you put it to rest. Like yeah. in more cases I have said, just trust me, just try this for this amount of time. If you still feel like it's not working or you're getting bulky or you don't want to be bulky, we'll revisit it. Yeah. And I, just having yourself as a case study of that is so useful. And what I tell my female clients is like, if you want to look like those girls in the fitness magazines that you like a lot of people strive to look at, like the toned look, if you want to get toned, lift heavy weights. You're never yep. going to look like those scary female bodybuilders because frankly, they're probably on some sort of steroid. They're probably doing something to achieve mm -hmm. that massive size that they're on. And that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, just, it's just not going to happen. And I think, again, that's a benefit of being a female coach because you've been there, you've done that. And you look like a normal person if I were to pass you on the street. So it's not something that we should be afraid of. So I'm glad we just could, we could hit that really quickly. But what I really did want to talk about was um, the idea of female exercise-induced urinary incontinence. Now, this is like a really big thing that uh, I have been studying because of like my PRI background. We talk a lot about the pelvic floor. And you see it a lot in powerlifting and gymnastics because of the high amount of force when you're doing plyometrics, when you're jumping. Um, you don't have to go into too many specific details, but this is an issue that is more common than most people are aware of, correct? It definitely is. And I actually, you mentioned gymnastics. I was trying to think of anyone that I know personally that has that problem. Um, I would not say it's super common in gymnastics. There are definitely people that I think have had that issue, but it's usually comes from something um, else like they have had other issues or they're just predisposed to have some kind of problems like that or they just really their conditioning and strength and conditioning program is really that terrible um but thankfully that is very rare in the sport i think the sport itself and some of the things that you are required to do kind of forces you to train your pelvic floor even if you don't know you're doing it oh. if that makes sense yeah um but I am pretty lucky to work with a gymnastics doctor, I guess that's what I'll call her. Um, 
she's a sports chiropractor, but she really, she did gymnastics. And so that's just a sport that she really loves and loves working with that population. And she's local here. So the girls that I work with, if they were to have any issues like that, that would be who I would send them to work with because that is right in her wheelhouse and something that she can handle. And I think that that is kind of an embarrassing thing, especially for somebody that young. Um, It would be an embarrassing thing for them. And so if you can get a third party who is qualified and that they feel comfortable with to handle it and they don't feel like they have to tell their coach something that is embarrassing about them, I think that's helpful. But um, so I have her that I refer out to if I have a kid that has that problem, which I have not personally had one. There have been kids in our gym that have had to go and deal with it, but uh, most of mine are okay. But in powerlifting and weightlifting too, it has been such a big thing and it gets hard to talk about because there is a movement that it's normal and okay and nobody should be judging you. And I'm on board, not judging, but um, it's not normal. Um, to, to an extent. And there are, of course, if you've had kids recently and there's things that, that definitely change it and make it more likely for you. But if you're an otherwise healthy, fairly young athletic person, it's definitely not something that should just be happening. So, um, I don't deal with it a whole lot myself. It's not an area that I have put a lot of time into researching because I have a physical therapist friend who is also a powerlifting coach and powerlifter herself that that really has put a lot of work into it um her name is rory alter and she's good at it and so if if i needed somebody to work on that you know she is a pt and she can do online visits and so that's who i send them to but she'll be the first to tell you too like it could be how you're wearing your belt um it could be that you're not bracing correctly it could be a lot of things but the bottom line is we should be working on it, not just dismissing it as a normal thing. So, Thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> I, I've seen so many videos on YouTube of, you know, females doing powerlifting competitions, sumo deadlifts, and then they just pee on the floor and then halfway up through the rep and the sticking point. And then you'll see all these comments saying, don't judge her. This is normal. This happens all the time. Totally understand where they're coming from. Makes sense. But at the same time, that's yeah, indicative of something potentially going on within their body that probably needs addressing. So. Um, I'm glad we could hit that, but uh, in terms of why I brought that up, I think there's a lot of things that you have to deal with as a female coach. There's the female athlete triad, there's this, there's, and there's a lot of other psychological things that go on. So um, in terms of handling these issues, do you feel like uh, this is something that is a challenge to you? Do you feel like you have to work through these things a lot? And what are some strategies that perhaps, uh, I know my audience is predominantly male. So if we're, if you have a male coach, what advice would you give to them to help females? Because females probably aren't going to want to talk about this to their male coach. But if this does become an issue that we see and they're not telling us, what should we do? That's something that I actually have an assistant coach who is a male. And so he does occasionally get a female client um, through me and he comes to me usually and says, okay, I don't know what to do. what do I do in this situation? And thankfully I can be there and kind of guide him through that. But I would say kind of like I did, if it's something that I either don't have an interest in getting better at or getting more expertise in. And for me personally, there, there are some things that I just don't, I'm not that super passionate about, but I know they're important. Um, I find somebody that I can refer out to 
So that would be my first recommendation is find people. If you're, you know, a coach in a school, find somebody local to you that you trust and that you think has a good personality, especially if you work with younger females, somebody that they're going to trust. Um, so you need to know that they know what they're doing, but you also want to find somebody that those girls are going to relate to and feel comfortable talking to and being honest with, because if they can't be honest with them, then, you know, they're not going to get anywhere. Um, the day that is definitely the top of my list, especially when it comes to nutrition or something that is some kind of disorder, physical or mental, you need somebody that's actually qualified to do that. So for me, obviously I know a lot about nutrition. I can't do anything with an eating disorder. It's out of my scope of practice. Um, but I have actually for gymnastics specifically, I have someone who is a pediatric registered dietitian and she specializes in gymnastics and other performance sports where there are a lot of eating disorder, um, REDS type situations and they're pretty common. And so having her as somebody that I can directly refer to as a clinician is good, but I also bring her in and we do webinars because she's not local to us with the girls. So they can see, okay, this is what's normal because they don't always know, especially if their mother is at home constantly on a diet. Um, that's what they thought they think is normal because that's what they see all the time. And that's what they see on social media with the influencer culture being what it is. So having somebody that can tell them what is and isn't normal and what isn't isn't healthy, and it's not me, and getting a third party involved, I think is helpful anyway. But I think if you're a male and you're working with female athletes, having a third party who is female that you can pull in in those situations would be really helpful. And then on top of that, doing whatever you can in your situation to make those girls or their parents, depending on the age of the athlete, feel like they can be open and actually communicate with you honestly, even if they won't tell you maybe what the problem is, you know, if they were embarrassed, maybe they will at least say, Hey, I feel like I need to talk to somebody. Can you help me? So I think setting yourself up to be somebody they feel comfortable asking for help is definitely a big one there. Do you think that let's say you have a good relationship with this person. I've had to deal with this twice and both times I knew they were not going to come to me, but I knew it was an issue that was probably detrimental to their long-term health. And I had no idea how to approach this conversation with this person because I knew I was going to have to be the one to initiate some sort of, you know, interaction to send them to someone that I know could handle this issue. Cause clearly like I'm not in a position to do that. What would be some good like conversational strategies for lack of a better term to uh, get this person to perhaps kind of be receptive to the idea of you saying, Hey, like, I see this, this is going on. Could we potentially have you talk to someone? That's really tricky. And I think it's really individual. Um, Cause in some cases, whoever it is, especially, I feel like the younger, the athlete, the more they're going to be scared to help, ask for help, or maybe they don't even realize that they need it. Um, so you have to kind of present it to them in a way where they don't feel like you are, or they're not in trouble. Right, yeah. Um, and I get that a lot with gymnastics and I don't know if it's the culture of the sport or the group of people I work with specifically, but they feel like if there's anything wrong that they're going to somehow be in trouble for it. Um, and I, th I think kids 
feel like that a lot. Um, so finding a way to get on their level in the sense of befriending them without crossing any lines there, that's tricky, but to kind of um, I make them see that you want to help them and that you're not going to get them in trouble somehow. It's not going to punish them somehow. I know I've had girls and even though I try really hard to make sure they know they can come to me, I'll still eventually get one where something's been hurting for a week and they didn't tell me because they thought I was going to pull them out of an event or that I was going to be upset with them for being hurt or whatever. And whatever it is that they deal with at home or in their head or whatever that made them think that ultimately it's up to me to find a way to get through to them that makes them feel like they, they really can tell me from the beginning and that I'm on their side, um, that I have their best interest at heart, but also like I'm going to listen to them and I want to know why they didn't feel comfortable telling me that I can work on it. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I think with, with kids, especially, they know that adults are authority figures and so they don't want to disappoint you, but they also probably don't always feel like you can understand it from their perspective. If that makes sense. If you can find a way to connect with them on that, I think that makes it a lot easier for them to talk to you and actually be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. The saving grace for me, and you, you touched on this, is that I had a female on on campus that would come into the gym. Uh, she was just around, right? Like she, left, she had a recognizable face that these athletes saw from a day-to-day -day basis. Um, she was actually the, the nutritionist. So she would come in and she would be in her office. It was, it was detached from the gym, but you would see her walking around. And I think kind of like what you mentioned with the, with the webinars, with having someone that's recognizable that you can send them to because if they're just a stranger, then that mm -hmm. can be, I would imagine, a little bit threatening to this person. And that's even more uncomfortable. So yeah, just having someone that they know is around and they know it's like, you know, their job to handle these things and they're experiencing it, that's probably huge. I would say one other thing that you reminded me of when you said that, sometimes you're not going to be the person that they're going to talk to. Yeah. And it is through no fault of your own, but they feel more comfortable with somebody else and you kind of have to play on that a little bit. We have an assistant coach where I coach gymnastics and she is, even though I'm not old, but I'm a lot older than they are. And she is in undergrad still. And they will tell her more stuff than they will tell me about their personal lives. Um, you know, they, for the most part, will talk to me, but if it's a boy, like they will tell her before they'll tell me, I'll find out later on when they feel more comfortable with the situation. And so she, without betraying their trust, if she ever gets the feeling that maybe it's something that we need to know about, she'll kind of find a way to quietly tell us so that we can find a way to get to that topic with them. Um, but it, they feel more comfortable with her because she's closer to their age and they feel like they relate better to them. And my other co-head coach is very extroverted like we are opposites but it's good we work well together but it means that certain kids gravitate towards her more and then some of them will gravitate towards me to tell me things because I'm a little quieter and they don't think I'm going to repeat it out loud you know yeah. so I think that is something to keep in mind is like you said somebody on your staff that they feel comfortable with and it might not be you and that's not always anything that you can fix but you learn how to use it to your advantage if they feel comfortable talking to that other person, then let them. Yeah, 
yeah, that's totally fine. And yeah, it's the same. You're never going to be able to be friends with everyone because people need different things. They need a different approach for different things. Like when we're younger, we go to our mom for certain things mm -hmm. and our dad for other things. So, same yeah. so I just remember when I was in North Carolina working with high school athletes, I was, I love that job so much because I was old enough to be mostly an authority figure, but I was also young enough to where they understood that I could relate to them because I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm probably nine years older than them, but still it's like, I, I still like know what they're going through. I remember what it was like to go into a weight room, to train, to be around peers with, with peer pressure and influences and, you know, drugs and alcohol and all those things going on in the high school setting. Like I, they would open up a lot to me. And I think that was really big for my ability to get these kids to buy into um, a program for strength conditioning that was never there in the first place. And that was a, a challenge, but it was also incredible. And it was great to use my age and circumstances to my advantage in that regard. So um, transitioning a little bit here, I'm, let's get into the meat and potatoes of your actual programming for strength. Uh, okay. <laughs> what influenced you the most? What books have influenced you the most? And what do you use today? What's your general approach? I would say for, for powerlifting, it is kind of what they call power building. Um, oh. It's kind of the basics of it, but I do a lot more of your typical like sports performance type exercise selection and, and the um, methods than maybe you're a person who only came in through powerlifting. And so I think that's one of the things that kind of makes me a little bit unique as a coach, but I got there in a roundabout way. Like I started off when I first got into powerlifting, I was doing both powerlifting and bodybuilding competition. And my coach is very good at that. That's kind of what he um, did his master's in was that kind of specific physique type um, work. And that's what he lectures on now and studies a lot of. So he's been a big influence on me. I've been with him since the beginning and he's a great mentor. So I have a lot of that style in there. And I do think as the base for powerlifting, it's perfect. Um, because you are training multiple goals at once and people in a lot of areas forget to do that. You know, they block off we're only training this now and we're only training this now. And then you start losing those other adaptations. So um, it's like a, a trendy word, but it kind of accomplishes that goal. You've always got some hypertrophy work in there. You've always got a variety of intensities and different things like that. Um, but then now I still have that, but I also have more, I get a lot more out of the um, sagittal plane than I did when I first started coaching. Um, so I have my coach who was a big influence for sure. And then the doctors that I talked about earlier, the sports chiros, they're both CSDSs as well. And they have a lot of different background. They do DNS and PRI and gosh, so many other things, FRC. Oh. And so I've learned a lot from them, even without going through some of those certifications myself, just kind of big concepts. Um, and that is the beards there at the farm here in town. And then I have learned a ton just from my master's program and different books that I've read. So I love the um, periodization, the Bampa and Buzicelli. That's one of my favorites. And yeah. we used that for a class. I had actually bought it already and was working through it. And then I realized it was one of my textbooks for one of my classes. And I was like, perfect. 
now I have to like really <laughs> pay attention. So that's a big one. There is a guy named Dave Tilly and he is a physical therapist, but he's also huge in the gymnastics world in trying to kind of change that culture that I talked about earlier about not resistance training and doing that kind of thing. So he wrote a book, um, an ebook that he just put out, but then he's got another like real peer reviewed textbook coming out or a chapter in one. So I follow him a lot and have read through that. And even though I read it when I was trying to develop things for gymnastics, it kind of bled over into my um, powerlifting side of things for sure. Um, there's not a lot of books like textbooks that I have loved for strength and conditioning. I feel like I follow people um, and watch for ideas because I do really like the actual programming style that I use, although it doesn't really have a name. It's kind of, you know, different things that I've like, this works for what we're doing. This doesn't like nope. throw that one out. Right. Um, and so I feel like I follow ideas more than I follow books, which is hard for me to say, cause I'm a book person. Like mm. I have shelves and shelves of books. But none of them, I think, impacted me as much as trial and error stuff did. Um, and I, that's a mistake that I made, I think, at first, is because I like the books and the textbooks and the research so much that it was hard to get away from that and just try things mm -hmm. um, and follow like the anecdotal things that I was seeing and really use that. So as I've been coaching for longer, I've gotten better about doing that and being more open to things that maybe wouldn't be my first choice. But once I did it, I was like, Oh, yeah. this might work better than what I was already doing. Yeah. Um, so definitely that. And especially for powerlifting, I don't follow a lot of the traditional powerlifting stuff. I don't even like most of it. Like I don't like conjugate. Nice. <laughs> Someone's going to like oh. crucify me for that, but I don't like it. Um, I'm, I'm sure that I have, without realizing it pulled some concepts from it mm -hmm. um you know unconsciously like there are certain exercises that were made popular by it that i do like and things like that but as a whole it's not a system that i ever use and i've never done um 531 windler's 531 i don't ever use anything that resembles that i mean there's a lot of things that are out there that are really popular that i i just i don't think they're as wonderful as people make them out to be yeah, yeah. And you know what you found what works for you. And that also helps you, that also helps make you unique. And I think that is like the best coaches I know are a melting pot of all these different things and all these different people. Um, I think you also hit something that I think just kind of off the cusp is because everyone's trying to be, like we mentioned earlier, powerlifting or online personal trainer, like, especially with these days with the coronavirus, would you mind sharing just a couple of mistakes you made early on that you feel like would be beneficial for other coaches who are trying to kind of, break into this with the saturated market right now and potentially build this up over the next year or two? Like what are some things you did early on that you maybe could have done better looking back on? I definitely think um, what I kind of touched on earlier with following the, the written, the, the research and the textbooks too closely. Um, and now I think I do a much better job of taking the concept and applying it rather than looking at a study that says, okay, you need exactly 10 sets for each body part to make progress and realize, and you know, I, I use this as a guideline still for sure. Like, okay, I need to make sure that I'm getting, you know, the basics in there, 
but I look a lot more at the individual and figure out what they need um, based on those guidelines. I think I do a much better job of truly paying attention to the athlete and what is working for them and not having this like idea that because this research paper said that it should work for everybody. Not that I've never thought it would work for everybody, but I definitely think I put too much stock into what those said rather than taking them as a concept that I could apply. Yeah, I hear you. Um, at first, yeah. Because like at That's, the same time with research, there's you can poke a lot of holes in a lot of research and really like a lot of the trained people they use aren't trained to like what you and I would think trained is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's just, research is great, but it, it's a guideline. It's not necessarily a rule unless it's something that's just absolutely positively proven. Bulletproof, yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a great thing to take away because I think we do want to go by the book and that comes with experience with what you said. And I think there's nothing wrong with particularly like, I don't want to say copy and paste, but just kind of like seeing what programs work, what aspects of them work, take little things away and then create your own program. Because it's one thing, like I'm reading a book right now on programming and it all makes sense when I read it. But I went to write one of my client's programs today, trying to incorporate some of these principles. And I just stared at this book for 20 minutes and I don't have anything. So it's one thing to actually try and read something and then apply these new concepts that you are just now learning. But you're only going to do that if you try. So that's well said. Yeah, and I definitely... I think once I started thinking of those as concepts to apply rather than like concrete principles that I needed to use all the time. And another thing you mentioned, there's a lot of ways to poke holes in research. There is so little research on females in the exercise science realm. And so even if I have something, I have male research and yes, a lot of things are really close, but they aren't. I mean, there's things that you got to take into account that aren't shown in the research and they're not in the textbooks right now because no one's ever done that or there's not enough research on it to really consider it to be a concept yet. You know, it's just kind of an abstract idea that one person did the study and it showed this, but like, is that really how it works or is that just how this one study turned out? And that won't change for a while. It'll take years before we have more of that material to look at. So, um, yeah, definitely paying attention to how each person responds or each group of people responds to certain things and kind of making my, not my own set of rules, but you know, like finding ways to use that in my coaching. What do you think is in your experience, the biggest difference between males and females in terms of just like physiological or like anatomical differences when it comes to programming them for powerlifting? I would say, so you said physiological, but I would say it's psychological. I think the way that females approach training is completely different. Um, one, they're very detail oriented. So, you know, you give somebody something and th- if I give one of my female clients something, they are more likely to end up with this kind of paralysis by analysis of not being able to set it up exactly the way I said it. You know, and that's going to cause stress. And I'm like, it's not, I mean, we'll find an alternative. It's not that big of a deal. Um, Then a guy who's going to be like, oh, I was supposed to back squat. Well, I don't want to. I'm going to front squat instead. I'm like, that's not the same exercise. Like, um, so I said, that is probably the biggest thing that the way they approach things is so different. They're more detail oriented, but there's a lack of confidence there. And I have to push my female athletes a lot harder 
to get them to actually work at the intensity that I need them to. Um, they, they tend to shy away from it, whether it's my kids in the gym, you know, being worried about putting a certain amount of weight on the bar, my, my younger girls, or if it's my adult athletes, they are very likely to overshoot. Um, I use a lot of RPE and RIR type stuff. They don't overshoot their numbers hardly ever. I mean, I get the exception to that rule here and there, but most of the time they're going to undershoot. And I'm gonna be like, hey, that was way too easy. Like we got to, um, you know, we got to do a little bit more than that. But then my guys, complete opposite. I'm always having to like rein them in and go, okay, if I had wanted you to do max effort, I would have asked for it. I did it. Like yeah. back it up a little bit. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, just like even high school girls particularly, they don't want to particularly push past a certain mm-hmm. comfort limit. But once they do, it's actually very empowering for them. And they, they, those are the people that tend to really love being in the weight room after they push past that barrier of comfort, they break out of that. And then it's amazing to see them light up. And that's Definitely. probably the most rewarding thing. One of the most rewarding things I did when I was over there, just helping a couple of girls like really fall in love with being in mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, so as we wrap up here, I just like to end things with a funny story. So what is the funniest story you have coaching someone? It can be in line, in, online, it can be in person, it can be anything. The floor is yours. Ooh. I don't know which one I want to tell. Um, you just have so many. <laughs> I work with kids, so I have some stories. I have a kid who, um, she, you know, TikTok and all those crazy dances oh God, yeah. that they are learning. <laughs> she, um, it was at a competition this year, actually, and she is notorious for doing them. And she, most of my kids are like really chatty at meets and she is not, she is one that like wants to put headphones in it. And it's always kind of this kind of, um, thing that we have to handle carefully because I want her to be part of the team and be a good teammate, but also like, I want her to be well-prepared to do what she needs to do. And if like drawing or using headphones and listening to her own music is what makes her feel ready, then I kind of don't want to take that away from her. She was doing a TikTok dance and it was her turn to go. And when we're on vault, I am like across the room, like, a, you know, 75 feet away from these kids. And I couldn't get her attention because her headphones were in and she was facing the other way. And she's like doing TikTok dances down at the end of the runway. And, you know, the whole gym has like stopped to watch her now because I've been trying to get her attention. The judges have saluted her already. And then like the crowd is like waving at her. And anyway. It, I mean, it took somebody like literally walking up to her and pulling her earbuds out of her ears. And her, she was like, what? And then you know, she turned around and was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Just in her element. I love that. Yes. I mean, so there's probably a video out there of her doing those dances and like not knowing that everyone is trying to get her attention. I had, um, when I was in doing my high school thing I had this girl who did the same thing she liked to have one airpod in I wouldn't let them have two in just because like they I can't talk to them if they're doing that who knows what's going on with that and it would be the same um same girl every time like sometimes some athletes would wear them sometimes they wouldn't but this girl always had it she was maybe like four foot eleven and you know just like weighed pretty much nothing and she just liked to be in the weight room I was like okay so uh, one day I asked, like, what are you listening to? And she had Screamo Death Metal on. <laughs> That's so me. <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, you would never, ever picture it, but she was, 
uh, just, you know, blank face. You would never guess. It could have been classical music for all we knew, but she had screamo death metal. And like, is this what she was doing? I kept saying that. Yeah. Her dad was in the military, so maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. I I just got into that kind of music for I don't even know why in like middle school, and I still like it. Like I listen to mostly older music anyway, and I don't mean like oldies, but I do like those. But like from 2012 and back, I I don't like hardly anything new. Um, and I have certain bands that I listened to then that I still really like, and I'll switch back and forth and listen to all kinds of stuff. But every once in a while, something like that is just what I'm in the mood for. And, um, when Matt and I first met, and this was like five years ago now, we went on a road trip and I forget what we were doing, but he did not know like what my kind of music that I listened to was. So I was driving and I think one, like fairly normal like blink 182 song played and the next one was kind of screamo and he was like i'm stuck in the car for hours with this person that i really don't know <laughs> what is the draw to it i'm curious I'm, no judgment no judgment like what is <laughs> is it the energy is it the words what is it i don't know like it's catchy to me although i know people don't feel like that that don't like it but it's, I'm not really big into hip hop and I never, and like there are certain songs that I like and I think they're catchy and I'll listen to, but I don't know. I just, and I don't like um, the super heavy death metal type stuff. I love, there's bands like A Day to Remember and it's kind of like that poppy, pop punk metal sound. They're, they're a little more tame. Those are my favorites, but I don't like um, the more mainstream stuff either. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just it just resonates with you. Yeah, for some reason it does, and I don't. I couldn't tell you why, but I always feel like I can relate to most of the songs. So yeah, I mean, I was in New Orleans last year, and I heard jazz, like real jazz, for the first time. I was like, this yeah, awesome. I had no idea like jazz is genre of music. I completely closed myself off. To. This is actually yeah. really good. So now I like jazz. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, just stuff resonates with us. But. Um, so yeah, just to wrap up, tell us, uh, do you have anything going on? Anything planned in the books for your online stuff? <laughs> well, right now, I don't think anybody has anything <laughs> planned. Um, I, so I am actually on a break from school. Um, it was just the way my semesters worked out. I have eight weeks off. I have about four weeks left of that. And then I have two more eight week terms and I will graduate. So I will officially have that master's degree. What are you, what are you specifically going after? Um, it's a master's in applied exercise science, but it is strength and conditioning is my concentration. Um, so I want to get more into education type situations. I love coaching and I'm definitely going to do that for as long as I can forever and ever, hopefully. But, um, I want to teach more. And so I've been kind of practicing that with like what kind of social media content I put out and getting in line for some of these speaking type opportunities but maybe a position as like an adjunct professor my I still live in the same um, city that I went to undergrad in and it's a great small school um, so I would like to guest teach there some I think yeah. that'd be really cool yeah well, as so. an introvert to another I think it's really cool <laughs> have the opportunity to go speak at the Alabama NSCA conference that's a huge step and like that's something that's on my bucket list of things to do one day. And I think that it takes a lot for people to get up in front of a crowd. And yeah. that's amazing that you were going to do that. But unfortunately, it's canceled. Uh, it's postponed. Oh, postponed. Hopefully I can still, yes. They don't have a new date for it yet. Um, that's 
awesome. it would have been today, but I am hoping that the new date is one that I can make because it was like as nervous as I was about it. I finally got psyched up to do it and then they had to postpone it. So I'm like, okay, now I'm ready. <laughs> now yeah. I want to do it. Well, hopefully um, it happens soon once the country gets back up and running. So uh, what, what are your Instagram and Twitter handles? Um, my Instagram is at lift heavy princess. It's there's a underscore in between the lift and the heavy and the princess. And then I use Twitter very little. I actually don't even know what my Twitter handle is. I use Instagram the most. Like Instagram is definitely where you find me. Twitter is mostly personal. Um, sometimes I'm funny. Gotcha. <laughs> well, thank you, Christina, for coming on. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me.